0: The person helps do that. Go to wjffradio.org. It's wjffradio.org and click donate now. Thank you. Welcome to the local edition news and information that keeps you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and coming up in the second half of the program, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Meredith Helstern with Honsdale Pediatrics, Wayne Memorial Community Health Centers, talking about uh, COVID recommendations and more. That's coming up in the second half of the program. But first, it's time for us to continue our election coverage. And uh, Radio Catskill, the local edition, are keeping you connected with the issues and the candidates this election season. So you know before you go to the polls in November. All month long we've been conducting interviews with the candidates. Tonight we check in with Republican candidate for the 101st Assembly District, Brian Marr. Here's Radio Catskills Patricio Robayo.
1: On the phone with us now is Brian Marr, the Republican candidate for the 101st Assembly District in New York. Brian, welcome to the program.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate being on.
1: You're currently the town supervisor for the town of Montgomery, and you actually ran for the 101st Assembly District before, for in 2012. Why do you want to run again?
2: So for me, public service is all about having an impact on my community, on people that I represent. In 2009, when I was 23 years old, I ran for mayor of the village of Walden, which is within the town of Montgomery. Um, I didn't know everything about life. I didn't know exactly what it meant to be a mayor, but I knew that I had a passion for service and I knew that I wanted to give back. And I truly believed that I had the right attitude to learn what I needed to learn um, and have the the trust of the people to do a good job. So I ended up winning, getting elected at that young age, and I had some bumps along the way. But for the most part, um, I kept to my word and I, I really tried to represent the people well. And we were able to do some really creative things. We created a youth employment program. Uh, we did tackle some infrastructure issues that were important. And what I found um, in my beginning of my career in government is that we can have such a profound impact on our community if we do things the right way, if we're not in it for the wrong reason. If we listen to the people around us that are qualified to do their jobs and give them the resources they need to do their jobs, a lot can get done. Um, so I really enjoyed that experience. And then after six years, I actually started working for New York State Senator Bill Larkin. Uh, before that, I did take a stab at running for New York State Assembly uh, in my 26, 27-year-old year. Um, Again, I I had a passion for public service. And in that moment, when I ran for state assembly, it was the new 101st district that was the original Snake District 10 years ago. This uh, started out in the town of Montgomery as the southernmost part of the district and went up all the way to the suburb of Utica in New Hartford, past Cooperstown in Otsego County, Herkimer County. And I didn't really know what I was getting into at that moment. I worked hard, but I was completely overmatched in a Republican primary, which later in life now I am happy to admit. Um, I was outspent. uh, I was outclassed politically. And that person now, Claudia Tenney, is a sitting congresswoman. So it's a good person to have lost my only election to. Um, And actually, Claudia and I are pretty uh, decent um, friends now. And we, uh, we talk often about that race and how we both grew from it, especially myself. So when I lost that race for assembly... I got a call from Senator Bill Larkin, New York State Senator. And it was such uh, a blessing in disguise because over the next six years, I got the most unbelievable education in public service. I got to go to Albany anyway, working for the Republican majority in the state Senate. And I learned so much about what it meant to be a man. Um, during that time with the senator, I ended up getting married, um, having my first child uh, and and working with some amazing people, both in Albany and within the community. After six years serving as the senator's uh, communications director and uh, his campaign manager, I then decided to run for town supervisor. And that is what I've done the last three years. And you ask why I'm running for assembly again. And it's a simple answer. I love what I do. I love being able to answer a phone call and be able to help somebody or point them in the right direction. That is the root of why I do what I do. So being able to go from one town and 24,000 people to more than 20, 20 towns in six different counties and 130,000 people, to me, it's about being able to represent and serve more people.
1: If elected, what are some of the issues that you want to tackle for the 101st Assembly District?
2: So uh, first thing is first, it's uh, how expensive it is to live in New York State. Property taxes is everyone's number one issue. As much as we're going to get to bail reform and crime and how that impacts um, the state as a whole, and it truly does, um, the cost of being in New York State is everyone's number one issue. And as much as the 101st District is very different, it's the same in that respect, that that issue is something that we need to tackle. And in in the Assembly, um, I would like to advocate for legislation that shifts the way we fund public school education. I think in other states, uh, they do it in, with a different fair tax, where it's a combination of maybe an increase in the income tax and the sales tax. And now as a Republican, and nobody wants to hear tax increases, but at the end of the day, it's not sustainable for homeowners to bear the cost of funding public school education. Over 70% of your property taxes is to pay for public school. And uh, we need to be able to support our public schools, but we need to fund it in a different way that doesn't put it all on the shoulders of property owners and business owners that can't make ends meet, especially seniors on fixed incomes.
1: What other ways can we fund the schools if it's not through taxes, the way we normally raise taxes now for school tax, like property school tax?
2: Yeah. So as I just said, it's it's described often as the fair tax. I think Mike Huckabee might, might have been one of the first Republicans to talk about that. And it's really it's a combination between sales tax and income tax. Right now, that's a tough situation for New York to even discuss because I think we're in the 48 or 49 out of 50 states in income tax. But if you take into account the impact raising the income tax slightly would have as opposed to eliminating or, or decreasing a large amount of the burden on property taxes, I think most New Yorkers would say, let's do it tomorrow. Um, so as a representative, I can't just be beholden to special interests and those that are, um, you know, the the top, top, top folks that are that are um, that are in this state. I know it's an interesting way for a conservative Republican to think, but I'm thinking about all people who are really getting hit hard through property taxes. I think shifting some of that burden through the income tax or through a, a combination of an increase in the sales tax, a small, small, small increase. Um, if you if you have a combination of the two, that might be a better way. To, to fund it and relieve property uh, property taxes on homeowners.
1: We talked about how long the 101st Assembly District is. And one of the things that came out of this pandemic was the need for high-speed internet from those who are moving up into our area and starting a home business or working from home or just the need for virtual appointments for your doctors. The need for high-speed internet to be competitive in this world is is great here in the Hudson Valley What can you do once elected to help us have a connected future?
2: When I get elected, I am going to find out what on earth is happening with the billions and billions of dollars that have been poured in specifically for infrastructure by the federal government and why broadband isn't part of that. Or if it is, how do we get it into our communities? We have had a historic amount of spending at the federal level that is supposed to be filtering through our state. And as a town supervisor for the last year, I can't even get a question answered on where we apply. Uh, and the answer that I have been getting is, oh, going to be within current programs that exist? And that's not acceptable. It's just not. I've been a municipal official for uh, nine years in total, and we need assistance. We've needed it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And we have all this money, the influx of money coming in from the feds. Where's it going? Uh, what's the plan? And broadband should absolutely be a part of infrastructure in our future, because it can't just be about fixing the roads and pipes, which needs to be fixed immediately. Infrastructure should be about broadband. Um, It should be about um, protecting our, our lines that are above ground and maybe even talking about how do we get them below ground. And I know that's a big capital expenditure. But again, we have all this money. Where is it going? And that work will also create jobs when it comes to broadband and the importance of it in rural communities, as I'm sure, you know that's how we help create jobs. A business isn't going to come to an upstate part of New York in the 101st District without certain infrastructure. Water and sewer is important, so they're going to identify areas that have existing water and sewer, but broadband is equally important. When a company comes in and does a market analysis, they look at where they can find jobs. So if you have a manufacturing facility that really likes the area in the 101st District, but there's no job, no jobs, no folks that are trained in those jobs, Um, or no plan for workforce development to get that community or that area or that region trained up so that you can uh, attract a larger company that's going to bring higher paying jobs, you don't have a chance. So as a former municipal official, now turned state official, if I win, I think I have a unique set of expertise to really talk to lawmakers and say, hey, these are the problems Let's talk about how we address them. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions if I'm elected. I'll tell you
1: that. Bail reform has been a hot topic here in the Hudson Valley. There are those who want it to be revamped and there are those who want to be abolished and totally. Where do you stand with the issue of bail reform?
2: So bail reform needs to come back to the very beginning before these reforms were put in place. Uh, we need to make sure that we readdress it uh, completely what we did to try to impact the situation uh, that was hurting s- some folks in in New York City it really has devastated our communities both in New York City and in upstate New York western New York um north country every part of New York state is really has become more unsafe due to the bail reform measures so we need to start from scratch uh we need to uh i would completely repeal it but if there was an opportunity to at least have a discussion on how we make changes we have to do something and i would start there and i would talk to my democrat colleagues in the senate and the assembly and say hey who wants to really address this issue the problem is this when you have uh, senior democrat elected officials saying that there is no correlation between the rise in crime and bail reform they're lying to themselves and they need to be called out and we need to have real conversations and i'm not i'm not going to sit here and say it needs to be this or else i really want to have legitimate conversations but we want to welcome our judges in. We got to welcome our law enforcement agencies, the folks that are on the ground dealing with this problem. We need to listen to them. I didn't have success as a mayor or a supervisor because I did everything myself. I believe we had success as a team because I gave professionals who had the experience, the resources they need to do their jobs when we're changing laws in, in Albany. We need to listen to judges. We need to listen to the law enforcement officials that are the ones that are really fighting this battle uh, on the ground. And if they're not part of the conversation, we're never going to get it right.
1: Farm workers had a victory in New York State. The threshold for overtime has been lowered, will be lowered from 60 hours to 40 hours over 10 years. Some farms say that this will cause their doors to close, while others say this is a victory because those who are working overtime should be paid that. What are your thoughts on this latest development with farm workers?
2: I think it's similar to raising the minimum wage. Um I think at the end of the day there are some folks out there who simply see this as a, as an issue uh folks don't make enough money and they need to be paid more. But you have to talk about the impact of what that means. If farms do close because that is a legitimate real possibility, if folks cannot create a profit to make money to keep paying employees, they won't they won't exist. There's a bottom line, especially on certain farms where they can't even raise the price of their products where the the price of their products is dictated by the federal government um there are farms that are completely stuck so if you raise how much they have to pay their employees to a degree and they can't raise how they how much they get paid for what they're farming how does that work what what else can you do but close your doors so i would say let, we're going to take a, a real hard look at the impact this has but there is real truth to um, trying to help people by giving those folks uh, a raise in salary and, and more overtime and hurting them in the process by eliminating jobs and creating uh, the need for farmers to have more automation in what they do than having folks, real human beings that, you know, stimulate the local economy and and, uh, and gain from having the jobs. We need to really look at that that impact. I'd be curious to work with uh, Uh, non government think tanks that are really putting in the work to do the research to see what they come up with and uh, what the impact is. But I definitely would have concerns about uh, how that's going to really hurt people more than it will help them. Hopefully it doesn't, but I I do have some concerns there.
1: When the voters go to the polls this November 8th, why should they vote for you, Brian, instead of your opponent, Matthew Mackey?
2: I like Matthew. Um, so I would never say anything negative uh, about Matthew. This is an individual who really has shown a level of civility on the campaign trail that I respect. Uh, I wish all campaigns were like this one. You should vote for me because I'm going to put in the work. Uh, I have the experience as a municipal official, and I will work hard to represent everyone and listen to everyone. I'm not someone who wants to get elected to the state assembly for the purpose of having a job and keeping my job. I want to have conversations. I want to work with both Democrats and Republicans to make meaningful differences. I have three children at home. I'm not going to go to Albany and take time away from them unless it's going to be something that's going to be impactful for people. And that's why I want to do what I want to do. And, and that's why people should vote for me.
1: Brian, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about, your campaign or you?
2: Uh Yes, I I really can't do what i do without my team if i am elected in the state assembly i'm going to put a great team around me and i'm going to do everything i can to just continue to be someone who's genuine who tells the truth and is a fierce advocate for people um, who otherwise can be voiceless and that's who i am that's what i'm about
1: we were talking to the republican candidate for the 101st assembly district brian Marr. thank you so much for joining us on the local edition oh you're welcome thanks for the opportunity
0: This is part of continuing election coverage here on Radio Catskill. If you missed our previous interviews with candidates here on the local edition, make sure to check out WJFFRadio.org, our website, to see our election page. Click our election page button, catch up with the candidates. You can also go directly to WJFFRadio.org backslash election 2022. That's WJFFRadio.org backslash election 22 when we come back we'll be talking covid vaccines and more you're listening to the local edition winner of two excellence in broadcasting awards from the new york state broadcasters association radio catskill listen local
3: Thank you for listening to Radio Catskill during our fall favorites fun drive. This one-of-a-kind radio station with local programs you can't find anywhere else depends on your support. If you haven't given yet, please take a moment to donate at wjffradio.org. Let us know which shows are your favorites and keep local public radio here in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Give now at wjffradio.org.
0: Welcome back to the local edition, news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Well, this year, the CDC expanded its recommendations for COVID vaccines for children, saying the children aged six months and up would now be eligible to receive the vaccine and the booster, both approved for emergency use by the Food and Drug Administration. Now, just days ago, the CDC's independent vaccine advisors went a step further voted to add most COVID-19 vaccines offered in the U.S. to the childhood, adolescent, and adult immunization schedules. Here to tell us more about the vaccines and how to stay safe this Halloween, we have Dr. Meredith Helstern, board-certified, board-certified pediatrician with Homesdale Pediatrics, part of the Wayne Memorial Community Health Centers. Dr. Helstern, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess let's start off with talking about uh, recommendations for COVID vaccines for uh, really young children. What, do, do you recommend that? We absolutely do. So I think the
3: really young kids are the ones who absolutely need the vaccine the most. Um, they can't tolerate wearing a mask, and they don't really understand that concept of social distancing that we've all been trying to follow for the last couple of years Um, anybody who's got a toddler and I've got a two-year-old at home knows that there's no such thing as personal space Um, so anything that we can do to protect the kiddos and the people that care about them um, and care for them is something that we really consider important as
0: pediatricians are uh, are children getting vaccinated are the parents uh, bringing their children in to get vaccines
3: so I'm getting lots of questions from parents and from patients, too, about safety and effectiveness. Um, I really like it when parents come in and ask about their kids' health and want to learn more about how to keep them safe. It's really a learning opportunity for both the parents and the patients. And once we discuss it and they get their questions answered, a lot of them do elect to receive the vaccine. And usually we'll come back for um, to get those
0: booster doses, too, which is really important. What, what are some of the most common questions you get?
3: Uh, I think the, the biggest concern I hear about from parents is the, the speed at which the vaccines came to market. And I understand. Um, I understand that. They really think that they haven't really been studied enough or tested enough to really be safe. Um, what I think most people don't realize is that the people who study things like this, the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, the Food and Drug Administration, are always – studying viruses that are circulating out there um, and how they behave and what might be the next big thing. Um, So they're really trying to predict the future in those cases. So even though most of us have never heard of coronavirus until about three years ago, it's really been on their radar for a lot longer. So I think um, they don't necessarily have to worry so much about that speed. All
0: right. Now, um, and when we're talking about vaccines, the vaccines that you offer in your practice, are we now exclusively talking about the, the latest uh, bivalent uh, vaccine or not?
3: So it, it's important to get that initial, um, that initial series of uh, vaccination for COVID. Um, and what we offer in the practice is it, we offer both the Moderna and the Pfizer versions of that vaccine. Um, so, whichever parents would feel more comfortable with, both of them have been approved down to six months of age. So, it's important to get that first primary series in before you start talking about that bivalent booster. But all of them are important, and if you give um, your your regular doctor's office a call, they can talk you through how um, how long to wait between vaccines, um, and and the scheduling appropriateness of that.
0: Right, but for those people who've done that initial. Um initial slate, uh, is the latest booster the way to go?
3: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, You know, Omicron definitely hit everybody hard with regards to COVID. Uh, I think that's what most of us, uh, we had several kids that were sick this time last year and into the Christmas season last year, and the Omicron variant seems to be the biggest culprit for that, and there definitely seems to be an increasing wave, um, and that bivalent booster that everybody's talking about is the way to go to protect yourself against that particular variant.
0: Okay and you know you said it's very important for the children to get vaccinated uh as for the reasons you cited uh, you know inability to follow protocols because they're so young right. and everything <laughs> um and, but are, are is it true that children are less likely to get as severely ill as older folks
3: It is I think in general children do pretty well when they get sick with COVID um but there's really not any way to actually predict who's going to have the complications and who's going to get very sick. Um, and it's also about protecting not only the kids, but the people who take care of them too. Because if the kids get sick and they don't get as sick, but they're being cared for by a grandparent or an aunt or a babysitter who maybe has their own health conditions, um, then that puts them at a higher risk of having complications. You know, recently um, we had to hospitalize a little one who had complications due to COVID. Um, They wound up in the the intensive care unit on a ventilator. They had no history to suggest that they would be any sicker than anybody else. So there's really no way to predict who's going to do well and who might wind up in the hospital. And now we're also seeing those long-term complications like long COVID, and there's no way to know who's going to develop those kinds of things either. So if we can make the illness less severe or prevent it altogether with a vaccine, I think it's really important to do that.
0: Okay, and now I've got a phrase in front of me. I can't believe uh, I'm seeing this. Infection by confection. Is Halloween a COVID hazard?
3: Uh, I think because many of us are starting to let our guards down, it could potentially be. Um, You know, the last couple of years, we haven't had the big. Uh, celebrations that we used to see with Halloween. So we didn't have the Halloween parades and the trunk retreat celebrations and things like that. So now that those things are starting to pick back up, I think it's definitely something we need to be wary of. Um, so things like, um, you know, making sure that you are, you know, appropriately washing your hands and staying away from from other people if you can. Um, if you're not feeling well, then don't go to those celebrations and things like that. And then, you know, just with regards for trick or cheating, if you're going around to houses, I would let the person who's handing out the candy actually hand out the candy. Everybody putting their hands in a single bowl is really not a good idea. It wasn't before COVID, but it's really not now.
0: And what about just what about the cold I mean the regular people getting uh, catching cold rhinovirus uh, right. flu yeah. flu season I think... here i mean aren't aren't a lot of these covid precautions apart from the vaccines, but just the general precautions do isn't that a good idea at this time of year because there's so much cold going around?
3: It definitely is. I think anybody who's been watching the news recently realizes that not only is COVID a thing, but things like RSV and influenza and rhinovirus and the other viruses we see this time of year. Because we've all been avoiding each other for the last two years, we haven't built up immunity to those other things that we commonly get. And so I've seen a lot of really sick kids and older older children and teenagers and even adults um, getting sick from those regular, um, you know, seasonal kind of things. So making sure that, you know, hand washing and staying home when you're sick and taking good care of yourself and getting plenty of rest and drinking lots of fluids um, to make sure that you're at your best self before anything else.
0: You mentioned the uh, the the RSV. I heard that mm-hmm. cases are up for RSV at least on our side, the New York side of the of the river in our listening area. Is is that something you're seeing? Absolutely,
3: we're definitely seeing it down here in Pennsylvania where i where I work as well. Um, and I think really um, nationwide, anybody who follows uh, these kinds of trends has seen that RSV, which stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Um, is a virus that has definitely picked up some steam. Um, it's one of those seasonal viruses that gives you things like cough, congestion, runny nose, fever. Um, you know, maybe some vomiting and some diarrhea, but it can be serious, particularly in very young children. So those kiddos that are younger than three months of age. And so if you have those little babies that pick up RSV, a lot of them wind up being hospitalized and having serious complications from that. In fact, there's really a nationwide crisis as far as. Um, pediatric bed availability goes. So those kids that do need to be hospitalized, we're running out of places to put them. So making sure that you protect yourself from any kind of respiratory virus is really important this time of year.
0: Before we go, is there anything else that you want to say about health, especially health for children and and things to keep in mind at this time of year?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, since the pandemic started in the last two and a half years, We have definitely seen a big drop off in my office and then talking to friends um, that do this thing for a living, too. um, We see a big drop in kiddos that are coming for just the regular checkups. Um, which is really concerning to us as pediatricians. So we use those visits to assess how your child grows and how they developed to make sure they're healthy um, and identify things early on that need intervention and we can do something about early on. Um, but we also like to make sure they're up to date on their other vaccines. So things like chickenpox, measles, mumps, rubella, tetanus, that kind of stuff, we need to make sure that we're protecting our kids from those things too. Um, you know, we've been taking precautions in our offices to make sure that everything is safe So it's really important not to skip your child's regular checkup.
0: Okay. Well, that, that all makes sense. I want to thank you so much for, (laughs) for uh, sharing this information with us. Uh, Dr. Helstern, thank you so much.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. And that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. We were just talking with uh, Meredith Helstern, MD with Honesdale Pediatrics, Wayne Memorial Community Health Centers. For more information about Holmesdale Pediatrics and all the pediatric services offered by Wayne Memorial Community Health Centers, information's at w- WMCHC-dot-net. WMCHC-dot-net. This is a local edition. Uh, you want to stay tuned? Coming up, we've got uh, Ramble Tamble with John Gordon coming up at 7 o'clock. Stay tuned. Oh, I'm sorry, and I should notice one more time, I should make mention. It's our fun drive. We do need to hear your support. Give us a donation. Give us a call, 845-482-4141. Donate now at wjffradio.org. Also, again, at wjffradio.org, if you missed any of the candidate interviews that we've been doing all month long, getting ready for Election Day, it's coming up on November 8th. All of our election coverage is available at WJFFRadio.org. Click the election page button there. or Go to WJFFRadio.org backslash election 2022. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Tomorrow, Patricio Rabia will be here with more from the local edition. Support for Radio Catskill comes from The DeBruce in Livingston Manor, New York, an award-winning restaurant and internationally recognized hotel overlooking the Willowee Valley. TheDeBruce.com From The Cooperage Project in Honesdale Dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like
1: you.
3: You're listening to Radio Catskill.
0: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello.
1: Your community radio station.
0: On air, online, on your smartphone, on your smart speaker.
1: Keeping you connected. Your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
3: We are Radio Catskill.
0: This is Radio Catskill. It's going to be a clear tonight, overnight low down to 31. Clear and cool tonight, mostly cloudy tonight Over uh, overnight, <laughs> mostly cloudy tomorrow with some sun high up.